the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. You right there, Alex? It's hot. Right, you could eat your dinner off that floor. And I've even polished a weasel. Story of my life. Cheers. Uh, I've checked the bookings and uh, you've got a wash and trim at five. Well, that's good to know. and welcome to episode 47 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast where the pans are always overboiling, the caravan holiday is always a disaster, the old lady is always a little dear, and the weasels are always buffed. I'm Gavin. And I have allergies. Oh dear, still? I will until June. <laughs> oh, there's fun. Yay. It doesn't seem so sniffly though. No, I took a Claritin. Actually, you know what I did? I accidentally took two Claritin and you're not supposed to do that. Oh dear. <laughs> so I might fall asleep halfway through. <laughs> so may I. Oh no. I wonder if any of our <laughs> listeners will notice. It was a mixed bag week this week, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. I. Yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> so join us next week when... <laughs> It was also a bit of a mixed bag of a week for us. So much car trouble. Oh, yeah. More car trouble than you can wave an oily rag at. <laughs> you are now the proud owner of a Ford Fusion. I am now the a financially crippled Ford Fusion. <laughs> owner of a black, with black wheels. Yeah, fancy. Once you get a car that has black wheels, you notice that quite a few other cars have black wheels, but I thought this was kind of unique when I bought it. Right. I don't recall seeing anything like it. It looks like the Batmobile. As I insist to the kids who are having none of it. Is that you're Batman? Well, I didn't say I was Batman, but I said it's the Batmobile. But you know what? I've never seen you and Batman together in the same room. Exactly. So. Hmm. And I've, I also never kill the baddies. No. Does that make me Catwoman? No. Does that make me Vicky Vale? Yes. <laughs> That's you, Kim Basinger then? Yeah, Kim Basinger. And I'm Michael Keaton. Yeah, you are. I'll take that. <laughs> Better than Val Kilmer. Oh, he was rather chubby when he was Batman, wasn't he? He's rather chubby now. Is he really? Did again. <laughs> I'm still old. <all. laughs> <laughs> but as you may have gathered, we're once again working with a sponsor, the wonderful Donahue Solicitors. That kind of came out the blue. It was it was a lovely, lovely surprise, and yeah. I'm happy to have them on board. Absolutely, We've got um, a sponsor. <laughs> we have a sponsor. And, and you'll also be hearing from them on. Well, our- they're not really a sponsor. They have a paid ad. Yes. They're not a sponsor. Correct. And that's an important distinction to make. Yes. We've been because, told to say. <laughs> because they're lawyers. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly feeling under quite a bit of pressure now. To, to say nice things about lawyers? Uh, nice things about everybody. But especially about Imran and Adam. Yes. <laughs> They've always been my favourite characters on the show. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? 
Yes, please. Our mailbag. Susan says on Facebook, Ken needs to have something happen in his life. He has been there forever. He's a great actor, but needs something. He's got Claudia. He's got something to do. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> they made that quite clear last week. He's getting his hole. He's getting his hole. She's not... <laughs> a little bit of frightened rabbit there. Yes. Keep yourself warm, my dear. <laughs> so, Susan is not quite so much a fan of Kate, though. She's not a good... She's caught down here. She's not a good afternoon. I don't know what she means by that. Her crying and drama makes me sick. Get rid of her. She should have been under the roof also. Oh. But all in all, Corey is great. I give it 10 out of 10. Oh, even though you hate Kate. Yep. Canadian Helen says, Sinead making beard oil. I can predict something disastrous happening with that. Remember what happened when Sinead made homemade candles? That turned out to be the candle that Tracy lit that caused the fire in Carla's flat. A little bit of Corey history from Canadian Helen there. Thank you, Canadian Helen. Then John wrote in to say... Hopefully nobody's going to be lighting anybody's beards on fire, though. (laughs) Whose beard would you like to see on fire? Hmm. I guess the correct answer to that is... It depends. (laughs) So John wrote to say... Peter's. Oh, yeah. Burn that (laughs) thing to the ground. I thought the flippant way that Tim's heart attack played out was very poor and not a good message to display. Just a lame way to get Sally to make peace with Gina. Jeff... Who's Jeff? Jeff? I don't know. Jeff? Jeff? Is there a character named Jeff? Oh, oh, Tim's dad. That's what he means, yeah. That's what other people call him. He can just do one. Wish he would do a disappearing act. There were some good bits this week, so overall I'd give it six and a half out of ten. Ooh, high praise indeed. June wonders how many more ranimorials there's going to be. <laughs> oh, I, I hope we've seen the end of them. On a similar but different uh, tangent... One of my favourite things on a Saturday is the five things we learned from Corey this week on the Coronation Street blog. Uh-huh. It's a joy and written by a guy named Scott who's at Mersey Tart on Twitter. He... Oh, is that who Mersey Tart is? Yes. He tweeted this week that he was today years old when he learned what the verb to get one's hole meant. And that's all down to us. Yay. Congratulations. Somebody, somebody replied to him saying that it was, that it was an Irish thing, mostly around Dublin. Mm-hmm. And it took all of my willpower to say, it's Scottish. Oh, it might have Irish origin, I don't know. Yeah. But he thought it also wasn't as vulgar as we make out. And he's completely wrong about that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's totally vulgar, because what kind of hole do you think you're getting? <laughs> then, I mean... then Paul Blees, did you see this, Paul Blees? No, I, I don't think I did. Paul Blees is the actor who plays Dirk, one of the Knicker people. Oh, yeah, you told me about this. I didn't see it. Yeah, he liked to pin tweet on my personal Twitter account where I announced the launch of the Scottish Book of the Dead. And I wonder if that meant that you bought it. Fingers crossed. Let us know what you think, Dirk. Downside is, if he did read it, he won't be able to say so on the show. Because he's an actor in a non-speaking role. Oh. Oh, maybe Dirk does speak. I don't recall. He can tweet at us. He can tweet you. Tom Matt said something this week. Yeah, but I don't think it's the original Tall Matt. I thought you looked different as well. I think it's a well. new Tall Matt. I'm really disappointed. Not quite as tall. No, mm, not, not quite, quite as Matty. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what a load of rubbish, says Steve, who's totally on the wind-up. <laughs> yes, because he never watches Coronation Street. He just listens to us. Yep. <laughs> Hindsight Corner. Bloop, 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 bloop.
just the one thing this week. I was questioning you last week off your Kana sweatshirt, which, by the way, you're still not wearing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Zero for two. It's the Claritin's fault this week. Because you know what? I woke up this morning and I saw it. And I said, I have to remember to put that in. To put that in. To put that on. <laughs> yeah, don't put it in. I think maybe because we we're recording earlier than we typically do. I didn't think of it. Because I was, I was uh, on the couch watching Bake Off and you said... You want to do this early so i didn't have a chance to go upstairs or to think about it so i questioned you on what idst yes. meant did you find out no you did you, though you forgot <laughs> the moment we stopped recording it means if destroyed still true oh where does that come from oh, i don't know just, i think it's like just one of those lolly's head no it's an urban dictionary thing oh urban dictionary yeah really? That's one of the most pleasant. That's probably the most pleasant thing I've ever heard from the Urban Dictionary. Usually I don't think they did pleasant things. Lots of naughty bits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you drinking? Well, I'm very excited because I am drinking a lemon polar seltzer. I am so excited. Where'd you get that about? I found it in the CVS in Charlotte. I don't think you got that here. Yeah, I know. Because Horrocks used to have it, and then they stopped carrying it, and I was so sad, you know, and that's why I would always stock up every time we went to Connecticut, because Polar Seltzer is a New England thing. It's it's made in Worcester, Massachusetts, and if you drive up... Um, C95. The interstate, you'll see the the Polar factory with a giant inflatable polar bear well, don't on top of that. the roof. That's because it's... It's on the passenger side, and you're always driving. No, it ain't not the truth. <laughs> so I'm very excited to be drinking this tonight. Very, very excited. I had a raspberry lime earlier, so what are you drinking? I'm less excited to announce that I'm drinking an old Milwaukee non-alcoholic beer. Well, it's not Diet Verner's, so well done you. Yeah, kind of miss my Diet Verner's. <laughs> you can go to the kitchen and mm, get yeah, one I if guess. you want. I'll have to pause this. And... Oh. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first story tonight is Carla. Is it? Doesn't don't we end with Carla? No, I've split those into two stories. That we have the, the Carla side of it, and then we have the Nick and Imran side of it, because they kind of run separately for most of the week. Yeah, all right. So we start with Carla, and we end with not Carla. Hmm. And, and number one, Carla's staring at her lunch, and Ken is staring at Carla. In comes Peter, and Carla reveals that it's Aidan's birthday today. It was a year ago since she gave him the factory. Ken and Peter think she should visit his grave, but she doesn't want to go because the rest of the family will be there. Peter offers to go with. Carla will think about it, she says. Meanwhile, Peter goes off to get some shifts with Steve at the streetcars, and Carla asks him to get white lilies, or just mentions white lilies. At this point, I think she just mentions white lilies. Then the Connors and Alia have had lunch before going to the cemetery. Jenny asks Maria to come along, but she wouldn't feel right. Peter grabs Johnny on his own, and Peter finds out that they're going later. They haven't been, and he tells Johnny this is tearing Carla apart. Johnny still loves Carla, and Peter has an idea, but he needs Johnny's help. Oh. Boo. So Peter has got a job at Streetcars after all, starting tomorrow. Carla's not uber excited. Ha 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 ha. Uber. Well, 
Maybe, maybe she just needs a glass of wine to give her a lift. Oh. <laughs> or something about one of those scooter things. <laughs> Peter lies about seeing the Connors and how they've already been to the cemetery, which means that he and Carla can go with a clean conscience. And, and she goes... Yeah, and he'll pick up some white lilies. Yep. yep. So at the cemetery, of course, Carla arrives when the Connors are all there. Aidan's middle name was Finbar, according to the headstone. That always makes me laugh. <laughs> Peter must have got it wrong. Carla wants to go, and Peter encourages her to stay and focus on Aidan. She can do this. Kate immediately lashes out and quickly twigs that Johnny knew that Carla was coming. He says they need to work through this. Everyone's hurting here. Let's respect Aidan's memory. Then Carla whispers to Peter that she trusted him again, mm-hmm. and he lied to her. Again. Again. Happy birthday, son, says Johnny. Ah. He's sitting on the toilet again. <laughs> Kate. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> That's horrible. It's an image though, right? It's an image I don't want. Thank you very much. Stop making that face. Then Kate stomps off and Michelle shows Carla some kindness and invites her back to the pub for a drink. And Carla's like, that's probably not a good idea. But Michelle's quite insistent. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense because everybody should realise it's not a good idea. Because it's not a good idea. It's not, it's not a great idea, It's no. not a good idea at all. So the Connors go back to the pub and Maria joins them now. Jenny pours them all a drink and Carla and Peter turn up. And Kate is outraged once again. She tells Johnny that she held her tongue at the cemetery. Did she? She kind She like more was muttering to Johnny at the cemetery than anything. And she lets go now, telling Carla that she murdered the woman that she loved. Johnny tries to calm her, but she stomps off again, and Imran is very interested as he watches this happen. Mm-hmm. Michelle and Peter assure Carla she has a right to be there. And once again, Imran watches on with interest and looks maybe a little confused. In the booth, Carla reckons that she should leave and let people drink in peace. Then Michelle joins them and, Good is, idea. and is pleased that Carla's there. It's been oh. difficult, says Michelle. Mm? Then Carla gets a text. <gasps> I don't know what voice to say this in. You destroy everything you touch. That's horrible. Don't and it's from Rana. Just, just say you destroy. You destroy everything <laughs> you touch. And it's from Rana. That's the creepiest voice I've ever heard come out of your mouth. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's a sick joke, says Peter. And he goes off to accuse Kate for sending the text. Oh, for me, take. Johnny calls Peter sick. Kate, de- Kate denies it. And as this is going on, Carla sneaks out. Through the back, Jenny can't believe anyone would do that. Oh, boo-hoo, says Kate. Then in comes in Seriously. Rana and Toya. Kate asks if it was him. And he was about to ask her the same question. And secretly, Johnny thinks this might push Carla over the edge. I'm glad Johnny's finally acknowledging that Carla's on the edge. Yep. Carla's in the community garden sending a text. Please, it says, we need to talk. I need to see you. Then Peter finds her. Why did she run away? He thinks she should go and get some rest and encourages her to go home with him. And he does it in this kind of condescending, whispery, supposedly concerned Peter voice that I'm kind of growing to hate. Ah, it's so creepy. I think he's definitely up to something. I don't think that's purely because he wants to get his hole off of Carla. Back home, Ken doesn't know how anyone can be so heartless. Peter still suspects Kate, and Ken thinks maybe Carla should see a doctor. (laughs) Maybe get something to help her sleep. Peter says no, he'll look after her. 
And then he goes off to get Simon. Peter seems really clueless. He seems desperate to keep people uninvolved. That he's the only one that is able to do something for Carla. I think that's... And that's why I'm suspicious. I think... I think that's more just... Selfishness and, you know, the white knight mentality that some men have about... I'm going to fix everything for you, blah, 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 blah. Then Kate is on her way out of the rovers. Johnny wants her to promise not to see Carla, but she leaves without making such a promise. Back at number one, Carla's on the vino when Peter comes home. He doesn't think this is a great idea for her to be drinking, and she forgot about him picking up Simon. She's staring at the message, calling him a liar about the cemetery thing, and he grabs the phone to delete the message when another message comes through. (gasps) You're going to pee, it says. And this really upsets Carla. (laughs) Zoinks <laughs> It's old man Withers <laughs> Which is probably Ken <laughs> Carla's got up in the middle of the night She crouches in the corner of the kitchen And calls Rana's number It seems that whoever is doing this Has removed Rana's outgoing message So it's just a standard Please leave a message thing mm-hmm. Maybe Ca- that was her outgoing message No it was always It was a cheery Chirpy Carla does Carla does so, saying she's sorry, it was an accident, she didn't know, and she begs for forgiveness. She tells Rana to tell her where she is. Yeah. What? This is... Yeah. So Wednesday, Carla is phoning Rana again, asking for her to get in touch. And then, after that, she's back at number one, and Ken's concerned for her. I can't, I'm dead. <laughs> Peter is off to work. Carla's trying to work. Ken thinks a breath of fresh air would do her the world of good, and he asks her to join him and Bertie later. Then Carla secretly puts a little bit of blue tack over her laptop's webcam. Mm-hmm. Which, actually, everybody out there, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not, if you're, if you're just working and you're not using your camera at the moment, you should have it covered. Yeah, I believe it. All this surveillance type thing. It wouldn't surprise me. No. This is why we don't have an Alexa in the house. Oh, God, no. We'd never have no. one of them. We're both sensible people. <laughs> Although, I guess my phone's probably listening to me just now. Well, yeah. Yeah. But the fo- your phone is one thing. But to actively have this thing right, in your house. Right, because, like, an Alexa is whose listening. Whose job is to listen to you. <laughs> hmm. A bit more. And the Rovers, Kate is wearing something really and drinking tea. In comes Johnny and Peter, and Peter is apologetic about his accusations from yesterday. He asks if she knows who is responsible for the messages, but Kate is evasive. He thinks it might be Imran, but she doesn't reckon so. Kate has some ideas, but she's not doing this to be a detective for Carla, thank you very much. Then at speed dial, in comes Kate to quiz Alia if she knew who could hack into Rihanna's social media. And then Alia's asking her why she's asking these questions, and then Kate loses her nerve and she runs out. Yes. Then later, Kate is standing outside number one. Along comes Alia to ask what she's doing. Kate is going to stand out there waiting for Carla to come out. And then she's going to stand there waiting for Carla to come back. She wants Carla to see her and what she's done to her. All she has is hate and it's all because of Carla. Then Alia is sorry because... That's not very sensible. No. Then Alia's sorry, but not because of all that. She's sorry because she admits that she was the one who sent all those messages. Just like that. I I am so angry that we know this. I'm so angry that this doesn't get drawn out more because 
it was this mystery. It was interesting. It was intriguing. It's like, ooh, who could it be? Also, I was really hoping it was Lolly. Oh, I think we were all hoping for a Lolly. <laughs> but this is a more interesting uh, puzzle than who was the roof ninja, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. Yeah. I don't yeah, really care was, about that. It was intriguing, and they ruined it in less than a week. Because it was a day later. It wasn't even a full day right. later. Exactly. Because arguably the roof ninja, arguably that roof was going to fall in anyway, whether the roof ninja had something to do with it or not. Right, exactly. So it was just like, why? Why Why are we finding this out already? Bad decision. Yeah, very bad decision. Shame on you. Um, oh, me? Not you. Okay. Shame on you. Uh, me? Corn- <laughs> Let me finish. Okay. Shame on you, Coronation Street. Writers. Shame. Shame. Oh, that reminds me, Game of Thrones is coming back. When is that? The 21st? 21st, I think. It's Easter Sunday it starts, I think. Yeah. Did we got HP- yeah, we did, we did get HBO yes. sorted out, didn't we? Yeah. Well, you you would have had to have done that. And I believe you have because you said you were watching John Oliver again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back door somewhere, probably Alia's. Alia's apologetic and Kate is angry. Did it make you feel better? Well, actually, yes, it did. Alia doesn't didn't. think Rana is getting any justice, just like Luke. Oh, for fuck's sake, she admitted it and she's still walking the streets. Kate wants this to be the end of it. Just like Luke and um, somebody else, her dad? Somebody? Oh, God, who was it? Who else in Alia's life is dead? Besides Rana and Luke. Next week. Hindsight <laughs> <laughs> quarter. Back, back in the morning, Carl has gone completely... A beautiful mind's John Nash and appears to be seeing secret messages and crosswords. Only she's not as smart. No, she's not doing complicated sums on... Ken's wallpaper. Also, she's not a misogynist. Oh, was John Nash? Yeah. No, I did, wasn't it? Hmm. Murder, wanted, woman, has letters that spell Rana, apparently. And then something else that looks like someone might have taken Peter. What? There's a hmm. knock at the door and then comes Kate. She found out who sent the messages. She refuses to say and then says it was Alia. Peter puts on his jacket to go have a word with her, but Kate talks him down. Carla can barely look at Kate. And Kate calls her pathetic. I was impressed that she was able to talk Peter down. It seemed against character type for Peter to be talked down so quickly. Oh, Peter's a coward though, isn't he? Yeah. He's all all bluster. Because Alia could kick his ass. Remember, he was going to kick uh, Jim McDonald's head in and was quickly persuaded out of doing that because Jim could probably still kick Peter's head in. Remember him in Imran punched Peter in the face. Oh, that was beautiful. That it was, was just last week. It was the greatest. That was fantastic. Oh, I could watch that over and over and over and again. I've made that a gif. <laughs> <laughs> and number one, Carla's doing the dishes. Peter tells her that she can relax now. Carla's not sure Kate was telling the truth. She was so cagey. Maybe she was saying what she was told to say. And Peter's confused. And Carla changes the subject. And she goes off for a nap. But secretly, she's looking at her special crossword paper that's stuck underneath the telephone table. And she makes a note that during the conversation... Peter rubbed his nose twice and then she hides the paper again. I'm not against people going a little doolally. I'm I'm not against it. But this is just... It's a very rapid decline. It's a very (laughs) rapid decline. It's really kind of goofy. 
remember last week she had the whole claustrophobic thing happening and right. And she had had the whistling in her ears and mm-hmm. kind of the conversations were echoey and all that right. stuff. So that was last week. Yes. So in a couple of days, she's gone from that to full-on psychosis. Right. And almost split personality sort of thing. And Yeah, and it seems to have been... It seems to have been this these Rana messages that have just made her just fall off that cliff. Head over heels. Mm-hmm. It was a wee voice in that head that did it. Uh, that that wee voice, I think, would drive anybody nuts. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> That's in my bicameral mind. <laughs> Carla has snuck out at number one and overhears some chat. It's that heavy Rick from last week with Gary in the gunnel. And Rick says something about dangerous games. And then the phrase dangerous games echoes in Carla's head and she quickly heads back indoors. Peter's there and he wonders why she was outside. She says that she needed fresh air. Peter Peter has been so worried. Well, she's been worried too and she feels all right now and he sends her back to bed. He keeps he keeps telling her she, she needs to go outside. She needs to go to the bistro and have dinner with him. She needs fresh air. And then the second she steps out for like two seconds, he freaks out. What's up with that? A little controlling, Peter. Little controlling. It's very controlling because he's at it. There's, there's something totally going on here. <clears throat> he needs to see what she's doing, and he needs to be in control of it. Yeah. And when he's not there, he needs Ken to be looking after her. But again, is that just being overprotective and patronising, or is that something darker? Oh well, we don't know. I know. But my suspicion is the latter. And we won't find out until next month. Oh really? You need to stop reading these things. No, I just know that they're not revealing the new villain until the British Soap Awards. Oh. And number one, Carla is doing the crossword again. Seems the answer to three down is murder. And the answer to seven across is Rana. Although little attention is paid to the conventions of crossword answers fitting in the available boxes. She's also using a pen. That's confidence for you, isn't it? You never use a uh, pen for a crossword. Never. At Carla. She's, she knows her crosswords. Yep. If it's the wrong answer, we'll make it the right answer. Excellent. Peter talks to Ken in the kitchen. He's off to work. Ken doesn't think that Carla's fit. And by fit, in terms of her mental well-being. Correct. Peter thinks she's been better since she found out about Alia. Huh? What? Ken thinks that she's disturbed. But Peter thinks it's great that she's being as quiet as a lamb. And supposedly taking her medication... Yeah. But I didn't think that they got her any mental medication. So no. it must just be her kidney m- medication. Probably. Then the mail arrives at number one and Carla shoots up to get it. Kind of surprised that she get their mail forwarded already. And then he reckons that Roy must have done it. He's made Carla a cup of tea, but Carla looks quite suspicious at it. They all know she's here, she says, and refuses to answer Ken when he asks who they is. Then she pours his tea down the sink, claiming to be more of a coffee girl. Random fact of the week. In the UK, you have to pay to get your mail forwarded. There'll be another random fact of the week next I was, week. I was shocked by this. That's extortion. Yes, but 30 bu- Well, 30 quid. What? It's free here. That's why the post office is losing money. You can choose to have it forwarded for a month or three months or six months. or And they all have different prices. But I think he's right. I think for a quarter, it would be about 30 quid. Yikes. 
and you need to do more than... How do you do it? Do you just go down and ask them? Yeah, you fill out a paper. Oh, yeah, you go to fill out a form. You can, you can fill out the form online, though, I believe, as well. Oh, really? Just like, um, you know, there's the post office app that I use to get our mail stopped when we go on vacation. Huh. Mm-hmm. goes back to her crossword while Ken looks at her as if to say, what the actual fuck? <laughs> He's not wrong. For once, I'm with Ken on this. I feel quite sorry for Ken and all this because he's the one that kind of sees what's happening and Peter, for a good reason or a bad reason, probably a bad reason, is choosing not to see any of it. Right, and nobody asked Ken if it was okay for Carla to move in. He's, yeah. he's being quite generous here, just having her in. Yeah, quite put upon, actually. Yes. He's not a mental health specialist. No. He's in no way... Uh, cut out to deal with somebody who's going through this kind of... And you didn't mention you didn't mention this. This was the point where I started to think that there might be something devious in what Peter's doing. Because when he's talking to Ken, he says to him not to worry about Carla, that she'll probably go to work because it's the first day that the nigger people are working in the community center. Yep. With little pics. <laughs> in the <laughs> walls. We heart hearts on. Mining for the knickers. <laughs> but when he goes to say goodbye to Carla, he says to her, maybe you shouldn't go to work today, just stay here and put your feet up. Mm-hmm. Which is not the tale that he told Ken. Oh, he's been doing this since last week. Whispering little little birdies in some people's ears and then whispering completely different ones in other people's ears and telling Carla one thing when he said mm-hmm. another thing to somebody else. He's been doing that. He's the Peter Baelish of this show. That's right. He's a little penis. <laughs> so appropriate. Little figures all around. <laughs> Peter's talking to Steve about Carla and how Ken thinks that she's on the road to a nervous breakdown. Steve sees the point. But Peter has been racking his brains and he can't think of a normal day they've had together since she begged him not to leave. No, because that's the day that the roof collapsed, the dick. Yeah. Yeah, you weirdo. Yeah, something what? something kind of important happened that day. Right, yeah. And Steve's like, well, then maybe you should have just... <laughs> Why didn't you go then? Yep. And that's what we're all asking. Oh, bloody Ken and those mints. <laughs> and, and his small, S- tiny old man bladder. Yeah. <laughs> Ken is doing the recycling, including newspapers, and he reads what she's written on the crossword. Murder, watching, and Rana. And Carla sees him and does not react well to this and accuses him of going through her room. She storms off, grabbing the paper before she does. And grabbing a whole bunch of other, like, magazines and other things that she's, I'm assuming, has written on in the pile of stuff in the recycling. She's got mine, 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 like she's one of those seagulls in Finding Nemo. And then later, this was just such a total flashback to uh, my mum's house. In the living room, there was no phone. Mm-hmm. There's no phone in the living room. No. The phone was in the hall. Right, yes. On a telephone table. Yes. So if the phone rang... You had to get up. You had to get up and go into a different room. Right. And sit where there's there's no TV and there's no nothing. There's just you in the, in the, in the phone. Right, so you can focus on the person you're talking to. Yeah. So that's what I grew up with. Uh-huh. And that seems like what Ken's grown up with as well, because he has to stand in the hall to go on the phone to Peter... To yeah. say, you need to get your arse back here because your woman's fucking losing it. Right. And who who, who invited her anyway? <laughs> he tells Peter that she needs professional help. 
because he's out in the hall. Right, she hears him. She hears him. So Carla storms down the stairs to demand to know who he's talking to. Ken's got... It's modern times. Ken's phone doesn't have a wire. No, it doesn't. He doesn't need to be so standing there. So he could be anywhere in the house with that phone. Yep. Oh, Ken. <laughs> Carla doesn't believe that it's Peter. And Ken says that he just wants to help. There's medication she could have. And yeah, they'd love that, says Carla. And Ken spots that she's talking an awful lot about they again. Like, who's they? She wants him to back off and she lashes out at him and knocks the phone out of his hands. Then she storms out, ending up standing on the street in her bare feet. Yes. Because that means that she's mental, right? Because she's standing on her bare feet. Yeah, if you're outside and you're... Well, those cobbles aren't exactly hygienic. God, no. Ooh. Peter's back home blaming Ken for saying something to Carla. (laughs) This is just like when he was blaming Roy for everything. We barely saw Roy at all this week. I don't think we saw him at all. at all. Oh, oh he's, he's not here. He's, he left. Oh, that's right. He went to uh, that court. Yep. That's right. Portsmouth Forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Peter's blaming Ken for saying something to Carla, who he thinks was fine this morning. <laughs> what? Peter! For the love of God! What? Your arse, says Ken. She was a fucking Fruit Loop this morning. She's paranoid. She's writing in code. She's thinking pe- people are out to get her. Pete's going out to find her. And find her, he does, because she's standing on her bare feet at the fencing around the factory disaster. Peter wants to know why she's there, and she wants him to tell him she won't be going anywhere. He says there is no them, and he's there to keep her safe. Her feet are torn to fuck, and she backs away from him. She knows what he's up to. What happened to you, he asks. Then we see some bins in the gunnel. He says he's here to help. She accuses him of calling the police about the accounts, and why would he do that? But she heard him and Ken whispering about her. They were plotting. Whispering Peter says he'd never hurt her and she knows it. Carla says that they're trying to get to her. They think her heart is rotten and he encouraged her to go to the medical centre. And she finally agrees. So Peter and Carla arrive at a busy medical centre. She doesn't like the way everyone is looking at her. Moira comes out acting very Mrs Jobsworth about the whole thing and Carla not having an appointment. He's worried she might hurt herself and Moira directs them to... Annie. Which is... Absolutely where she should go. Andy, here would be ER, mm-hmm. which is also where we live. Yep. Carla asks where Rana is. I'm not here. I'm dead. <laughs> She's like, doesn't Rana work here? Not anymore. No. I'm dead. Her jacket's still on the, the coat stand, though. Is it? No. <laughs> Along comes Toya, who explains That'd that be creepy. that's where Rana used to work, and she takes her through to a quiet room. Peter's about to join them when Toya tells Peter to go and get some shoes for her. Yeah. See, which, Peter wants involved in this. Which is what he should have done in the first place. Let's go home, get you some shoes, or call Ken and say, meet us at the medical center with some shoes. And Ken would be like, oh, Jesus, can I not get a minute here? <laughs> I've got Claudia to do. Toya talks to Carla about her sleeplessness and anxiety and she wants to know what Rana's been saying about her. Toya reminds her about the accident. Carla wonders if that's a test, to test her badness. No, I'm really dead. And then then she thinks there's a camera and a flower on Toya's desk. She's like, is that a camera? (laughs) What? Toya's like, no, it's a thank you gift. She thinks they must think she's stupid. Toya insists this is confidential unless she thinks that Carla's in danger. Then Toya goes outside and calls for the crisis team to come. She needs assessing by a medical health specialist. Immediately. And Peter is worried that she'll be sectioned. 
And if she's sectioned, she might, it might be months before she gets out. Yeah, he's not getting his hole. Mm. Toya well, and Peter go back to the room. Won't do she section? Exactly. Toya and Peter go back to the room, but wah, wah, Carla has fled through the window, pigeon on the roof. She's jumped out the window. How high? They, they couldn't have, They must have been on the first floor, yes? Oh, yeah, it's a one floor building. And she was able to get the window open. Yeah. You'd think big the, enough you'd for think them they'd to, be locked, wouldn't you? Big enough to. Or maybe not locked. Jump out of. That would be a fire hazard, I guess, if yeah. it's locked. But. but still, it shouldn't be that easy. No. No. Toya is running down the street looking for Carla just as a tram pulls away. Toya needs to report her missing. At Peter's, Toya wants him to tell the Connors. The police are at the door, and it's the same cops who were asking about the counts that we'll be finding in the final storyline. Mm-hmm. Peter is a total dick to them. They look for a headshot and can trace her phone and credit cards. Peter agrees that Carla's distressed and paranoid, and Peter thinks the police attitude stinks. How many cops are looking for Carla right now, he says, and the police say that the database is her eyes and ears. This person that they're looking for is not Carla, and if the police won't look for her, he fucking will. They can stick their stupid database up their arse. Right up up their their arse. And that's how we finish (laughs) that storyline for the week. Maybe I should have put them two together. I made a decision, I went with it. Yeah. Because that storyline would have been mahoosif if it was joined onto the other one. Typically is. So this isn't looking all that great for Carla. (sighs) No. And it's just... It feels very slapdash and not very well thought out, this descent into madness. At this rate, she'll be in a straitjacket next week. It feels like the 1950s kind of woman descends into madness, doesn't it? Yeah, there's something a little black know, and white. I know Corey's been around a long time, but maybe we need to maybe maybe we need to to rethink this sort of thing in the future. I thought they were better last week when they had those little cues like the like the echoes in her head and the the kind of visual effects that they had and the way that they framed the shots and stuff was a little bit more interesting it, last week than it, it was this kind week. Kind of the way, you know, the way she looks around shiftily and the, the way she hunches her shoulders and everything. That's... All of that was way more effective than this whole stupid crossword puzzle thing. Yeah. Because that is completely a beautiful mind. Sort of looking for the, the ciphers and the... The newspapers and stuff, it's just... Yeah, only she's not a mathematician. No. Or a misogynist. You've said that already. <laughs> Where's Robert? We didn't see Robert at all this week. We've seen very little of Robert since the whole thing happened. He's barely been in it. And we haven't seen Seb at all. Just We've that once. We've seen even less of Seb. We haven't seen Seb since the day he hugged Abby. Why have these people in the promotional literature and stuff as... Being in the lineup as as if they're prime suspects, and then not have them there. Hmm. Is this uh, foreshadowing, or the art of deception, or hmm. red herrings? Hmm. That's something. Hmm. We're gonna start doing crosswords, aren't we? I like doing a crossword. I like <laughs> a cryptic crossword better yes. than a. Yes, we do. Cryptic them. crosswords aren't really a thing here. Well, we do them. We do them in the car, don't we? I, I have a uh, cryptic crossword puzzle app on my phone. And so if we have long drives, just you and I, I'll, 
I'll pop one on and, and we'll do it together. Yeah, I've, I've, We are such nerds. I've spoken to like several of my co-workers about this, about, uh-huh. about the concept of cryptic crosswords, and they just look at me blankly. A crossword here is, it's not even the same as a, a simple crossword. It's the kind where there's little grids of words. They all kind of lead on to each other, but basically you have a little 4 by 4 grid in the top corner and each word has a letter that's in one of the words going across is, is going down. They're, they're, it's a yeah. very, they're very strange. That isn't what cryptic crosswords look like or even simple crosswords look like in, in the UK that much. That's what Carla's looks like. No, Carla's doesn't look like that. Carla's doesn't look like that at all. Yeah, it no, like it didn't. a crossword puzzle. Yeah, but with one across and one down, but it didn't have like one, two, three, four going uh, across or down. Didn't have that. It was just like one going down and then one going across and intersect each other. Sure, but you don't yeah. have like little squares of of grids scattered about the place. Hmm. Different crossword things. puzzles. Not Sudoku. No, <laughs> Sudoku is the same wherever you go. Yeah. Used to like a Sudoku as well. Our next storyline is Chesney and Gemma. Oh, oh fine. It gets it done. <laughs> on Monday in comes Emma to the kebab shop she's excited to announce that she's running a Mr and Mrs quiz at the pub tonight Gemma volunteers her and Chesney to take part they're going to smash it Gemma is very excited about the quiz thinking that they've got a great chance of winning Chesney's more easy going about it she asks him what her second favourite colour is which he reckons is overthinking it then Chesney is nearly knocked down by a milk float and he reckons that he might have been killed <laughs> the milk float's going about three miles an hour maybe yeah, we we haven't. That reminds me of uh, when uh, what's his name almost got or did get run over, and uh, because Tim was chasing him. Oh, Duncan. Duncan, yeah, remember Duncan? Yes. <laughs> remember all of that. Oh, that yeah. was proper run over though. <laughs> yeah, but not proper proper run over because if if you've been on Twitter today. You probably noticed that the movie that everybody thought that Gav was thinking of that he's never seen before in his life has all of a sudden become been memed and become a thing on the Twitter with the meet um meet Joe, Joe Black. Joe Black. Yeah. And they've they've memed it now. Somebody's memed it so that because in Meet Joe Black, Brad Pitt gets hit by one car. And flies into the air and then gets hit by another car. Oh. And somebody has somebody has made it so that he's just bouncing back between the two cars. Oh, I think I'd quite like to see that. Oh, so that just reminded me. We need to make one with Chesney flying no, between two milk carts. No, the, the, the Chesney getting knocked over by a milk float was very much in line with the, the body getting run over by Austin Powers in a steamroller <laughs> in the International Man of Mystery. Oh. So later, Chesney's telling Tyrone about his near-death experience, which really wasn't a near-death experience at all. Ches has made his mind up. He leaves work in the middle of the day to go and organise his will. He needs to make arrangements for Joseph. Right away! Gemma says she'd take care of him, and and Chesney's like, yeah, whatever. Sure. And Gemma is made up. I'm no longer sure who's supposed to be boss at the kebab shop. (laughs) No. Because it's not Chesney. It's Tall Matt. (laughs) Tall Matt is now... But I love it that Chess can just like say, no, that's it, middle of the day, sticking my jacket on, going to organise a will. Why not? Gemma later is in the cabin and she tells Rita about 
being Joseph's guardian and Rita's space says, You're what for the who now? Has she thought this through? This is a big deal and Gemma is very cavalier about it. Gemma goes off, after a fashion, to get some sexy threads for the quiz. Oh, that's, that's quite amusing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's very cleverly done. Yes. It's like the cars are playing ping pong with Brad Pitt's body. They really are. And it's hilarious. Oh, it's very clever how they get the luggage to just fall into the same place. I know. Yeah, I like that. Chesney's in the rovers with Tyrone. He seems to have forgotten about what he said to Gemma and he asks Tyrone and Fizz to take care of Joseph if he dies. Gemma comes Probably in... Probably Fizz isn't there. Yeah. Gemma comes in and overhears Tyrone agree. Well, this is awkward, says Ty, and he slinks off. Come on then, says Gemma. How come I'm not good enough to look after your son? And he insists that it wasn't about her being irresponsible or stupid or not really qualified or interested. It was something else. But she's not buying it. Right, yeah. Well, you know, he's like Fizz's family. So that makes more sense. Does make more sense. Right. Ahead of the quiz, Tracy's winding up Paul and Billy, who seem to be entering despite only going out since yesterday. Shona can't make it, so Maria says that she'll do it with... She'll do the quiz with David. With David. Yeah, she won't do it with David. The quiz with David. Yes. At the quiz, Steve and Tracy are out. His middle name is James, which she correctly guesses, and her middle name is not a Steve guest. Don't know. How could he not know it? Well, he says, I haven't heard it that often. And then she points out that they've been married twice. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. Chesney and Gemma correctly guess that they are most like Ron and Hermione. Gemma spells Hermione wrong. Of course she does. And this is what my random fact of the week was going to be. Oh, the quiz is set up using a dynamic microphone, something like the Shure SM58, but it appears to be picking up everything a few feet in front and either side of it, so it's behaving more like a condenser microphone, like a old Blue Yeti. There'll be another random fact of the week next week. You're such a nerd. <laughs> it really bugged me, because these microphones that we've got are the ones that kind of like they were using. Right. So if somebody was over here talking into the microphone, nobody would be able to hear it. No. But the whole pub heard what was said there. Does Gemma really remind anyone of Hermione? Good God, no. No. <laughs> can <you> imagine? <laughs> can the you... Ron thing I can see, because Chesney obviously is a Weasley, but Hermione? <laughs> she's more like she's more like that other girl that Ron dated. Oh, what was her name? Lavender Brown. That's right, Lavender Brown, mm-hmm. the girl with two color names. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yikes, neither of them really pretty. Lavender's pretty. Combined with brown. Tracy, who has I hate Steve written on her answer board, is winding up up Gemma about being a witch. At least I know my partner's name, retorts Gemma. Tracy thinks they should win the quiz as they're the only real Mr and Mrs that are there. Which is a fair point. Yeah, and before this there were some, there was some awkward banter about Billy and and Paul and which one of them is the mister and which one is the missus Mm -hmm. that was kind of icky yeah yeah little problematic just a wee bit David and Maria are out because David didn't notice in all the years that they worked together that Maria always has tuna sandwiches Tracy calls Maria boring and it's down to Gemma and Chesney and Paul and Billy now. Emma is so excited she's about to wet herself. <laughs> Chesney is asked to name Gemma's biggest fault, which I thought was a real cruel question and 
probably one that shouldn't have been asked. No. She tells him to be honest. Billy is asked to name Paul's biggest fault. Mm-hmm. Gemma guessed messy, whereas Ches guessed irresponsible. Oh. And Gemma is crushed. Paul and Billy correctly guess fannying about in the bathroom, and so they win. Well, Paul writes fannying about in the bathroom. Billy writes takes too long in the bathroom. Yep, which is, which is what that means. <laughs> the Neither pr- of them have a fanny, though. The prize is a wee trophy. Oh. At the bar, Gemma is upset that he, uh, Chesney lied to her early when he said that she was too irresponsible to look after Joseph, when that's exactly what he thinks. So is this another week of Gemma and Chesney being miserable together and then making up on Friday, do you think? Well, let's just see about that. Finishing up at the Rovers, David asks Maria if they need to get divorced after the Mr and Mrs thing. She says no because he never put a ring on it. Nor did anyone else, says David. True story, says Maria. Forgetting completely that she was married to Liam and that once upon a time Tyrone proposed to her when they were 16. Uh, There's more than that as well. Yeah, well those are the only two I know. She was married to Liam, which is why the Connors keep inviting her to stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And she was married once to Pablo Duarte uh, for a visa, <laughs> which is why she went to prison. Pablo Duarte. Yeah, she married this guy so he could get a work visa, and she got caught. She went to she went to the jail. And so, they couldn't think they so, couldn't think of a a better name to give a foreign person than Pablo Duarte. It's, look, it could have been Pablo Sanchez. All right, <laughs> at least it's not that. It's like a. Oh, what are the Bulgarians' names? Jan and... Oh, Jan and... Brian. (laughs) Keith. (laughs) Noel. Senga. (laughs) I can't... God, what is that other guy's name? That's going to drive me nuts. Next week. (laughs) Jesus. We're forgetting things that happened like two weeks ago. (laughs) Jan and I can hear people screaming at their phones. <laughs> you fucking idiots. It's this. It's not Keith. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anyway. Carl. So these are two pretty major things that are happening in their life. One, the father of her child. Right. And two, the reason why she went to jail. She's also been engaged to Tyrone, like you, as you correctly mentioned, uh, and very briefly to Nick, but not the Nick with that head. <laughs> David finds Maria... <laughs> Cynic with the other head. Yeah. The one that turned one, into a model. Yeah, the one with the ripped abs. Yes. She was engaged to that one for a bit. Yeah, that makes more sense. David finds Maria alone in the salon. She's feeling lonely after the quiz, wondering if she's ever going to find anyone. Plus, it's Aiden's <sighs> birthday today. And David gives her a brotherly sort of pep talk and then leaves her to it. Back home, Gemma is still having a fit. Why make time fizz as backups rather than her if he doesn't think she's a bomb scare? And then she calls him an old man. He wonders why she's with him in that case and she yells that she loves him. Expecting him to say, let's just be mates, Ches reveals that he loves her too. Aww. And then they do sex on the couch again. Oh, for Pete's sake, there's a child in the house. Go up to your room. <laughs> it's perfect. Slightly on the couch again. <laughs> Then on Friday, no, 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 then on Wednesday, Gemma and Ches come down the stairs giggling. It seems Gary, who's working on Mary's roof, accidentally saw them doing the sex. Ches thinks they'd never get any time alone together, and Gemma suggests a dirty weekend away. 
Chess would prefer a proper holiday. And later, we see Gary at Mary's looking a bit shell-shocked and saying that he saw less terrifying things in Afghanistan. <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. It was fantastic. <laughs> Especially since Jim is like, ooh, a, a bit, uh, Gary got his rocks off on that. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> the look on his face. His hands slapped against his cheeks. And oh, just he was so horrified. Never seen anybody look so empty in my life. It looked like you last night, last week when we got to see uh, Chesney's nipples. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> At the kebab shop, Gemma's taking bites out of a head of lettuce. Mm. Ches shows up to tell her to pack her bags. They're heading to Portugal. Get it right up, ye. Flights are dirt cheap and they can stay with Joseph's nana. But that's Chesney's ex's mum. And Gemma feels a bit weird about it. Awkward. Ches will call her back and cancel. And Gemma wants them to work together on a plan B. Then Paul catches up with Gemma at the Rovers. She's looking for holidays on her phone and Paul reckons she's always going on holiday. Last time he was on holiday was with her at Uncle Barry's caravan. They both love that and he has an idea if she fancies a caravan holiday. Mm. Then at the kebab shop, the new tall Matt has a line. Thanks, he says. Then yeah, Jess comes the in same tall Matt. with some brochures. Do people still use travel agents and brochures? I think they do for some things. Like, um... Cruises, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. But Gemma has already booked them into a caravan site. Winning, she says. Chesney was looking forward to planning it together, and Gemma realises that she's fucked up yet again. Right. And also that all of a sudden she's Charlie Shane. Yes. And there may well have been more to that story this week, and I suspect that there was, but I haven't written it down. I don't think there was. I think there was maybe a very brief scene in the Rovers or something that I've missed out. Right, where... Where he seems to forgive oh, now. Yeah, 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 no, there was. And and he's not too sure about a caravan holiday being any fun. And she tells him about the restaurant that's at the caravan park and there's a place to swim and somebody else, I think Tyrone, is like, Yeah, caravans can be a lot of fun and then they make up. And then that's the end of that. So I guess next week we're going on a caravan holiday. Oh. Oh, whatever. Our next story is The Barbers. On Monday at The Barbers, Nick tells David to give Natalie the most unglamorous jobs possible in an attempt to get her to sling her who can quit. David's heart doesn't seem to be in it, and then speak of the devil, in comes Natalie who's keen to get started in learning. Alex is sitting under a hot flannel at The Barbers, which was quite funny. Mm-hmm. Natalie has cleaned the floor and she's even polished David's weasel. What's next? He gets her to check the shampoo bottles and then test them by opening and closing them twice. Natalie sees what's happening here and decides to play along. And then clean out the box. And then later Natalie's done and keen to start training, but Nick comes in with a bag. It's a Grim Reaper costume and he gets her to hand out flyers in it in the precinct. And rather than refuse, Natalie's up for it and goes off to hand out the flyers as requested. I'm, and I'm kind of liking the, the uh, non yeah. of uh, Natalie when she's off the coke. Right, yeah. And, you know, she actually says to Nick, this is the first good idea you've had in weeks that, that, you know, she's up for it. She thinks it's quite clever. And it's amazing that she fits into that costume because that is David's son's. Yes, Max's. Yeah, Max. But she makes makes little adjustments to it so it's a Mm kind of sexy Grim Reaper sort of thing. No, she doesn't. Yeah, she does. She pulls it in and she twists it. She says, "I I can get it to work for me. You thought it was sexy? didn't do anything for me but she seemed to think it was 
Natalie catches up with David and the Rovers. She knows what they're trying to do and she wants to be trained and so David agrees to give her a chance if she forgets everything that she knows about you-know-what. She goes to get changed when Nick comes in and David tells him that he's hired her. Friends, close, enemies, closer sort of deal, he says. Correct. And that's that. And that's a smart thing. I'm, I'm glad... I'm glad that that's how this is. And she seems to genuinely want to learn how to cut people's hair. This seems to be... She wants this chance more than the money, definitely. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, she, she, and she has said that repeatedly. So, yeah, I guess she's not a bad addition. Interesting to see where this one is going to go. I mm-hmm. have a horrible feeling where it's going to go. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. And I don't want to think about it either. So instead of thinking about that, let's move on to the next story. Yes, please. Which is Gary's financial woes. Oh, God, no, not this story. <laughs> on Monday, Sarah is working from home making calls to customers and Harry is acting up. Gary comes in and tells uh, Sarah to go find someplace quiet to work. He'll look after the kid and Sarah does not need to be asked twice. But later, Gary dumps Harry off with Faye, who's trying to study for his exams because Mary's come in looking for him to do some work on her roof. Yes, some slates have fallen off. She noticed when she was going to hang out um, her clean undercrackers. Yes. And Faye reluctantly agrees. Then later, Sarah has caught up with Gary. Surely they don't need money that bad. What happened to Peter's money? They've already spent that on the lad's wages and he tells her that Harry was safe with Faye. So what's the big deal? Yeah, because Sarah had been her bonnet about. Right, about Faye's uh, um, exams. Yeah, and, and Gary dropping off the kid when he said that he was going to look after her. Right. Then on Wednesday, Gary gets an early morning call from Rick. He needs to see Gary, but Gary tries to put him off. Then down comes Sarah, and Gary covers by saying it was Mary. And then uh, Sarah apologises for nipping Gary's head. And then Rick calls back. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Gary is at Mary's. He's fixed the slates, but he's noticed some other problems up on the roof. He, uh, he gives her the list, and she promises to speak to Norris about it. And then she goes off to call Norris. And Gary already looks guilty about lying to Mary. I'm sure there are problems up there that need fixing. But, yeah. Aren't, aren't you? Uh, yeah, because it's... I'm sure places like that always need fixing. But, yeah, it it seems like Gary may have uh, gilded the lily a wee bit. Yes. So Gary arrives back at number eight to find Rick has integrated himself into the family, holding Harry in the kitchen. Ugh. Rick has an awesome job offer for Gary, and Sarah is made up and asks if Rick is a foreman. But no, Rick is more a hammer and axe type guy. But Yikes. there's a big job he's working on and needs Gary's help. Gary has Mary's job, but Sarah thinks she'll be fine waiting for a bit. Okay, fine. And then weirdly, Rick goes off to the kitchen to make himself a cup of tea. In somebody else's house. Yeah. Yeah, crack on then. Rick has a massive chin. <laughs> I just keep staring at that ch- It's just, he looks like Jay Leno. Oh, that's cruel. It's not, as bad, it's not as bad as that, surely. I can't say I've noticed. Gary tries to act a hard man with Rick, but Rick would break him in two, and he tells Gary to go get suited and booted. Well, what if Gary says no? And then Rick begins a very odd puppet show with one of Harry's toys, referring to himself as Uncle Ricky and vaguely threatening Gary if he doesn't comply. That lasted far too long. Initially, when he first walks in and Rick is there... With Sarah and the wee boy, yeah, sends chills down my spine and, oh, this is creepy and this is foreboding and this is awful. But then the scene just kept 
going mm-hmm. and going. It, he didn't need to stay long that long. Once Sarah, once he got Gary to agree, sling your hook. The, the puppet thing just killed the the tension the thing for me. Yeah. yeah. So he says the interest is going to go up, and the debt will transfer to Sarah once Gary is in hospital. Meanwhile, Sarah thinks Rick is such a swell guy. That's with an enormous chin. Rick has taken Gary to an assisted living estate. He wants Gary to sell loans to the old dears there. Rick wants him to drum up some business. Gary doesn't think he can do it. Okily dokily, says Rick. And again, you're supposed to be threatening and you're doing a Ned Flanders impression. I say okily dokily. Yeah, you're not threatening in the slightest either. But I'm also not Ned Flanders. That's really weird logic. You're right. It's not. It's not as bad as um, Jane Leno. Let's, I apologize. Let's get home and tell Sarah how much you owe. Then, so under Rick's watchful eye, Gary starts knocking some doors, and of course, a sweet old lady opens the door, very much interested in a loan with no credit checks. She invites him in, and really says, "Gary, no, really," and in he goes. The old dear is making tea and scones for Gary. She's baking for her sixtieth year old, her sixty year old son's birthday. She has seven kids, seventeen grandkids. 13 great-grandkids with two more on the way. Gary thinks the loan might not be for her after all, but she begs for it. She'd be so grateful. Gary says he's not from a loans company after all. He's working for a company that makes old people aware about who they let in their homes without asking for identification. That's a very specific company, isn't it, Helen? Yes. He tells her to ask for ID in future and then gives her some money for her due and then he leaves. Then Rick's on the street wanting to know how Gary got on. He couldn't convince anyone, he says, so Rick offers a masterclass and approaches young Alex in the street, giving him all the charm. And at this point, you left the room. Alex would like to go out every night, but he can't afford it, and so Rick offers him a loan for 300 quid with no catch, no credit cheque, and weekly repayments. Alex is in and is shaking it. Rick just needs his post office card and pin so he can collect his repayments without having to bother Alex for them. Oh, okay then, says Alex. And that's how it's done, Gary, says Rick. You know what's very convenient? What? That every time Rick comes back to the street, Rita's not walking by. That's quite convenient. Mm, It's quite convenient. I wonder how they do that. By (laughs) by not writing it? It seems very weird that, you know, he can stand right out there with the cabin just there. Broad daylight. Broad daylight. With his chin. (laughs) Multiple times. And... Rita hasn't looked out the window and seen this guy that kidnapped her once upon a time Hmm. and threatened to kill her. I guess it's just luck. I guess so. Sarah and Gary are in the rovers and Gary's a million miles away. Alex comes in for a pint and Gary goes to have a word warning him off Rick and his stupid loan. He wants Alex to think very carefully about signing up for that loan. Sarah and Gary are walking home. He's been rubbish company tonight. She suspects it's Rick working him too hard, but he says he just has a headache. He hugs Sarah and then sees Rick hand Alex the cash and then invents a story about leaving his wallet in the pub. Rick is on to Gary in the gunnel outside number one. Gary's debts are increasing daily. It's a dangerous business trying to outsmart Rick. He tells Gary to stop playing games or his girl and his kid will start losing fingers. Gary is home and he's got his wallet. Sarah has left some ibuprofen on the table for him and she asks if anything is wrong and he again blames the headache. She goes to bed and tells him not to be long. And in the house alone, Gary breaks down in tears. Then on Friday, 
Sarah is up to find Gary asleep with his head on the kitchen table. He goes off to get a shower and she wants to go get lunch and he'll get her later. It's the first day at the community centre for her. Yeah, at first she says that she'll come to him, but obviously Gary doesn't want her anywhere near him trying to get money off of all these old deers. I don't know if he was doing that again today, was he? Yeah, that's why, you know, she's like, well, any old greasy spoon. And and he very quickly says, no, 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 I'll come back here and we'll go to Roy's. I thought he was just trying to, today was ripping off Mary Day. Whatever. So Gary's in Roy's roles trying to establish what happened with Alex and the loan when Sarah comes in asking for a tuna roll. They take a seat as Cathy comes in. Alex has a birthday present for her. It's a lovely bracelet. Aww. Isn't it a lovely bracelet? It is a lovely bracelet. Although Cathy thinks it came from the market. Really? In that box? (laughs) Cathy, you think that came from the market? But Sarah sees some Hallmark stuff on it. And Gary quickly deduces what Alex has used his 300 quid to buy. Right, yeah. Not to go out every night, but to buy his... Aunt Kathy, a little gift. So sweet. Kathy worries that Alex has been gambling. <laughs> At the factory, the knicker people are singing Sweet Caroline. Bam, bam, bam. And they're singing it badly. Then Izzy chooses the middle of the working day to approach Sarah about Gary's missing maintenance payments. Sarah promises to speak to him about it. Then Gary's at the kebab shop trying to convince Kathy to take the bracelet back and get uh, her money back. All the while, Alex is listening outside. Cathy reveals that Alex won the money on a scratch card. It's fine. He's a little love. Aww. And then later, in the final scene for this story this week, Gary's talking to Alex, making him promise that you'll pay back off... He'll pay back off? Making him promise that you'll pay off Rick immediately and get his card back and never do this again. So how are we supposed to feel about Gary? He's a stupid idiot. Because uh, he's been the good guy with the old dears and with Alex, but he's been the bad guy with Mary. He's been a stupid guy with the I don't think it's- loans. And I would think I would have liked some kind of sense that he was in this trouble in the first place. All this just invented money troubles and yeah. yet never stopped working. Yeah. Really? Remember I complained about this when they first had these money problems and lost their apartment. They're flat. Remember I said, what the heck? This this shouldn't be happening. He claimed to have got some money up front from a customer, I think, didn't he? Right. But a customer for what job? We never found that out. No. And now all of a sudden he doesn't have any money anymore again. And it, none of this makes any sense. I don't know. So I guess we're seeing some conflict within him that he's been a good guy whilst also been a bad guy. And Right. So he's not genuinely a bad guy. He doesn't want to be a bad guy. No, and he seemed but upset. It seems, it seems like lots of things have caught up with him. Yeah. And stuff. And again, I'm sure that there are lots of things for him to fix at Mary's. Um, because, I mean, if the slates are falling off the roof, then that tells you that maintenance hasn't been done in that house for a while so i'm sure he's able to legitimately fix things yeah but he might be nicking the the bill up a wee bit yep but it's not really mary it's norris who's paying so i guess it's okay well that's true yeah fuck norris (laughs) he's coming back yeah so i read yeah i've been reading that for months and he's still not back he's coming though look Let's talk about <laughs> Daniel and Sinead, shall we? <clears throat> oh, do we have to? Yes. 
Oh. On Monday, Daniel is telling she needs some stuff that he's read on a dad blog. And she is a bit tired and she's not looking forward to her therapy. And Daniel tells her everything will be okay. And this is a scene that could have been in any number of episodes over any number of weeks. What was it? What was it he learned on the dad blog? It was something really stupid that I hated. Uh, I didn't write it down because I, I it despised was stupid it. And I hated yeah. it. Daniel and Sinead are watching Love Actually, and Daniel is asking pointless questions, and Sinead's mind is elsewhere. She's worried that this might not be the last session. She's scared that she might need more if the cancer hasn't gone, and she simply doesn't have the energy for it. Daniel tells her she can beat this, kind of refusing to accept that she has a right to be scared. Yeah, and I really had a problem with that. You know, as as a survivor myself, it's like one of the worst things you can say to somebody with cancer. Oh, no, it'll be fine. You're going to beat this. You're strong. You're stronger than cancer. You're a good fighter. You're a big fighter. You can do this. It'll be okay. Because it's just empty, isn't it? Yeah. Nobody <clears throat> knows. Yeah, I think it's the kind of default what you think somebody wants to hear. Right. Nobody wants to hear that. No. Because they know it's not true. She and Daniel are at the pub being dull about the therapy tomorrow. What would she do without him, she says. And then she wants him and Bertie to be with her. At home, Daniel's explained to Ken about the ritual they have on the cancer ward where you ring a bell after your final treatment. Ken thinks it's a wonderful symbol of hope. And Ken tells Daniel that Sinead will be fine. On Wednesday then, Daniel's at number one with his Bertie bag. He can't find any wipes. He's a fucking wipe. And Ken says he can buy some. Duh. They talk about the christening and how Daniel doesn't want it to be religious. Oh. Ken suggests a humanist ceremony, but Daniel is worried about the Tinker's reaction to that. The Tinker's, who let them be married under, by a tree. By Kirk. Right. Dressed is, as a vampire. Who is a, who is a default Tinker. At the Cancer Ward, Sinead has gifts for the nurses. It's taken a lot out of her. They ask if she's ready, and she says that she is. And she stands, reads a poem about beating cancer, and then rings the bell. And Daniel hugs her. At home, Sinead and Daniel are talking about the events of the day. It's still sinking in. She's Daniel's hero, he says. He's going to make her a costume with a cape. All the best superheroes have capes. Anyway, says Sinead. (laughs) Totally creeped out by that weirdo. And the chat turns to the christening that Daniel doesn't want to be a christening. No capes. He wants it to be a naming ceremony. She's just so sick of his bullshit that she agrees after he compares it to their wedding that wasn't a wedding. Yeah. Has she beaten it? I think so. I think they've got better things to do. <laughs> yeah. They've got the mileage out of this. Right, yeah. I think they've they got wrung more than enough out of this. Every last drop out of this storyline that they possibly could. Well, that makes me think there's going to be something else then. <laughs> just to drag it out. I think they're no. I think they just needed to wrap it up so they could focus on this whole Carla thing. Well, let's hope that the ringing of the bell was that right. symbolic close to the to the storyline. Yeah, that's not going to be. No. Our next story and our penultimate story is Tim and Sally. Yay! On Friday, Tim and Sally are arguing about where the remote control is. The little hoofer doofer they have to hold it has just a couple of euros and some chewing gum in it. Then down the stairs comes Abby. She had the remote. Apparently she was just borrowing the batteries. (laughs) (laughs) There should have been a scene. Tim and Sally lying in bed. Can you hear something? Have you seen that remote? Is there a bee in here? 
<laughs> well done, Abby. Good for you. Taking charge of our own orgasms. That's right. Well, so we assume. But sisters, I think we're meant to assume sisters that. Sisters right? doing it for themselves. Doing it to themselves. <laughs> Sally encourages Tim to get out and get someone and get some encouraged. I've written. What does that mean? Sally, Sally encourages Tim to go out and get some encouraged. <laughs> oh, fresh air, I think. Well, exercise. Yeah, exercise. yeah. She, they're going to go for a brisk walk. Yep, down, down the by the canal. And feel all metrosexual of because of it. Yeah. Because well, apparently that's where the lesbians go. Sally's going. Was that in... There's I a, thought there was fewer lesbians on the canal than in at by this bridge that um, Sally compares it to. Yeah. Because it's all done up nice. Like this other place where all the lesbians go. Yeah, I think uh, probably a place in Manchester I'm not familiar with. Yeah. Tim and Sally are in the rovers for a couple of mineral waters. Sally wants support from Dave and Steve who seem determined to feed Tim's salty snacks. <clears throat> they provide the, they provide their support by playing "Aki Breaky Heart" on the jukey. In the rovers, Sally heart. turns the table on the bants from Dave and Steve and points out how their lifestyles are just as bad as Tim's, and they're all ticking time bombs. Hashtag bants. And then finally, at the cab office, Dave has done an online test, and his heart age is younger than is. <laughs> Steve grabs yeah, the phone. His heart is forty-seven. Yep. Steve and Dev is fifty something. something. Steve grabs a phone to do the test himself, but his heart age is older. And he's really confused about good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, and he doesn't know. Yep. That seems like a very complicated online quiz. Yeah, Tim says you should have lied, and Steve says I did. <laughs> Still came out fifty <laughs> something. Right. Dev bets that he can get his heart age down ten years in a few weeks. And he challenges them both to a £100 bet. Whoever lowers their heart age the most wins. And they're all in. I bet Dev wins. I bet Steve cheats. <laughs> and I bet Tim cheats as well. And I bet Dev wins. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Our final storyline for tonight is Imran and Nick. On Wednesday at home, Nick and Leanne are talking about uh, a new dawn in the life of Underworld when out comes Imran, sarcastically applauding, calling Nick a captain of industry. Shame his sister's death interrupted his persistent pursuit of money. Oh. Nick, Nick insists it's not about money, it's about the knicker people. <laughs> the knicker people. Toya tries to call time out and Imran bites her head off. Toya storms out. So uh, Imran sees Alia on the street and they start to talk and Imran uh, admits that he was being a bit of a bastard to Toya and he's trying to think of all the ways that he can make it up to her and then they go through all the litany of uh, strange... Well, yeah, the typical things. that she has about being vegan and... Right, yeah. She says flowers and, and she's like, no, carbon, like, footprint no be- carbon footprint would be too big and chocolates and oh, only if they're organic and blah, blah, blah. So everyone thinks, wait a minute, Alia, I think you might be I best place to, to help me out. And at Speed Down, Alia has prepared a vegan meal for Imran to take home to cook for Toya. It's dead easy, she says. Anyone can do it. Even you. Imran is at home making a pig's cock of the Indian food. Everything is burning and overflowing. He just wanted to apologise for earlier. Because Toya's coming at this point. He's they, a lawyer. They talk about feelings. He's a smart guy. And what they've been through and how it's going to take time. Can't cook a curry. He's sorry for taking it out on Toya, Nick and Leanne. So later they've cleaned up and Imran apologises 
apologises for being such a prick and he's cooking uh, dinner for all of them, for Leanne, Nick and Toya. Right, but Toya's going to help this time. Because uh, only women can cook, apparently. And Roy. Nick won't be able to make it, he says. And Robert. And then Leanne says that she and Nick will make it. And then Nick says that he'll make it. Great stuff. Imran re- realises that he needs to stop taking his grief out on everyone else. Correct. Finally. This isn't going to stick, though. At the mm-hmm. rovers, Wayne decides to stand next to Imran as he's discussing a business call about something that was conclusive. Imran asks if that was about the factory, and Wayne reminds Imran that he must be at least vaguely aware about confidentiality laws. Right, being a lawyer. Wayne was a bit badass during all that. I quite liked that. Yeah, um, I don't think he noticed that Imran was the person he was standing next to, though. That jacket. Well, he Wayne comes in from the street and he's focused on his phone call. Mm. And maybe he doesn't know about Imran's jacket. If he's seen it once, he would remember it. <laughs> he's wearing it all the time now. It's almost as if he's doing it to annoy us. There was a scene this week when he kind of flashed it around his, his head like it was all a right, yeah. bullfighter's cape. Charlie, are you doing this to annoy us? Mm. Let us know. On Friday, Leanne and Toy are tidying up from last night while Imran looks at photos of Rana that somebody sent him. It seems Wayne's report is due today. If Carla is responsible, Nick is going to want to distance himself, he says. Imran pretends he's okay about people returning to normal. Yeah, and Nick says, quite rightly, it's it's not about it's not about the business. It's about people needing to feed their kids. Yep. Then at the community centre, Dev is trying to capitalise with selling uh, sandwiches. Because in come yeah. the Nicker people who all love Dev's lovely sandwiches. He doesn't sell them. Those are complimentary. This because is an- he's reminding them that he's right next door if they need anything. Yeah, this is an advertising opportunity for him to, to people who already know about his store and where it is. Right, but it's nice. Sarah goes through the rota and responsibilities. And Izzy can't get her wheelchair to the toilet. I can't get my wheelchair to the toilet. So what about all the other shit that goes on in the community centre during the week? What about the kids' judo classes? What about the knitting bee? What about the white supremacy meeting? <laughs> well, they're going to have to move that down to the docks now. It's such short notice. Well, that's an inconvenience. Do you really think Yasmin <laughs> would allow a white supremacy meeting in her community centre? Yes. <laughs> Imran meets Alia on the street. He gives her the photos that he had earlier. She thinks he's playing games, and when he looks confused, she can to sending the messages. She hated Carla so much, she calls Rana the best of us, <sighs> while Carla files her nails and waits for it to all blow over. Imran hugs her, but does, but she doesn't want his kindness. Imran admires her hitting back. Carla to be deserves fair, Rana this. Rana was the best of them. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Toy overhears this as Imran continues to promise to make Carla pay. I'll make you pay. It always rolls Toy Oh, and... And um, Imran says something about hoping that Carla gets hit by a bus. So that just wraps us back up to Chesney and Duncan (laughs) and poor Brad Pitt. And that guy in awesome powers. Arroyo's rolls, Toya and and Imran are sitting down to a a couple of very empty cups of coffee. Imran isn't in the mood for a lecture or a tour of the stages of grief. He wants Toya to take five minutes off the clock, thank you very much. And Toya's great though and doesn't rise to it. Imran wants to be angry with Alia, but he'll take it because it messes with Carla more. She doesn't think he means it, and she warns him that to put so much stock in Wayne's report is futile because it won't stop him feeling this way. She advises him to speak with Nick, whose dad went out one night and never came back because he was stabbed. You'd think that they they would at least like put a napkin down and say to, to Toya, okay, put the cup down gently on this napkin. You'd think that they would think... 
wait a second. <laughs> They'd hear that tap and say, we need to put some fluid in here. Nobody's actually going to drink it. Or let's put something on the table so that it doesn't make that sound. You know, come in, on, guys. In all honesty, I think they're as aware of this as I am. <laughs> they simply don't have time. Or they just don't care. Or maybe they don't care. <laughs> I, I cared. I cared deeply, though. That one tonight was a cracker. It was It was a good one. Carla's out in the street in her bare feet when the police nab her. They want to see the factory accounts. Oh, you're a poet broom. Mm-hmm. Carla points him in Nick and Sarah's direction and she tries to get support from a passing Alia who is in no mood to be helpful. Carla quickly slinks away as Alia tells the police that the accident at the factory was no accident. And that um, they can find Sarah at the community centre. So the community centre, it's all crammed and noisy and Nick wants peace and Sean makes a crass joke about rooftop protests just as Imran comes in and he hears it. Imran looks all Imran and then leaves and Nick goes after him. Nick gets Imran at home and apologises. He explains that some of the Nicker people were in there with Rana and they were nervous about starting up again in light of what happened. None of them are cruel. And the Nicker people aren't cruel. I would believe that. Yeah. Imran says that he lost his dad. Be careful of their scissors, though. Oh, yeah. Doesn't speak to his mother and can't shake the feeling why she was spared over Rana. Did did you talk about Sean being a fanny and saying something stupid and that's what made Imran mad? Literally just what I've said. Why did I miss that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sitting right here. The police arrive at the factory looking for Sarah. Kirk, fucking hell Kirk, pretends <laughs> that he's Sarah. I'm Sarah! <laughs> and the police look at him like... What? <laughs> What's wrong with you? It's like last week when he was trying to open up the pork scratchings when everyone's talking about what's going to happen to their future. And then Paul offers to open it for him and he just ignores Paul's offer of help and keeps struggling. It's and then, like he's somewhere else. And then during the whole factory collapse thing, he's eating his mini cheddar. <laughs> it's, it's... Do you think he's got really hit on Ill, the head? It's really ill-judged, I think. I think. I think he's gotten hit on the head. Oh, then they speak to the real Sarah, who hopes that this is good news. Nick explains his relationship with his dad, Brian, to Imran. That's some mullet, says Imran. He died defending a woman on a night out, and then he was gone. There was no chance to say goodbye, and Nick was only eight. And Nick is very emotional else. as he describes the relationship he had and the rucks that he got into later trying to prove it. Grief isn't rational, and it doesn't get better in time. It's like if you break a leg, you just learn to dance with a limp. And I thought that was 100% spot on. Yeah, it was very very well put. It was a it's a good scene. Yeah, you don't get any better. You just learn to live with the emptiness. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Imran says that Brian saw wrongdoing and stood up for what was right. And he says Nick is cut from the same cloth. And Nick does not reply and looks down at his empty cup. Yep. Sarah grabs Nick at the community centre. By the way... The police were here to see you earlier. They wanted the account, so I gave a, a quick statement. I printed off the accounts, gave it to them, and they gave me a receipt. Yeah. Lovely stuff, says Nick. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> great. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Nick, I've just fucked everything up for you. Here. Here's a receipt. Right, but she doesn't know she that. She doesn't know that. Of course not. And then Nick meets David in the Rovers later. He's agitated about the cops looking at the accounts, and Audrey's money went through the accounts, and Sarah gave them the accounts. If the cops find out about this laundering, he warns them that they could both end up going to prison. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Would David go to prison too, do you think? Yeah, because he used that money to buy the barber. Yeah, but he could always say, 
He didn't know where Nick got it from. Yeah, nobody's going to believe him. No. I wonder. I wonder if if they do find it, if they try to pin it on Carla. Oh, they're going to try and pin everything on Carla, aren't they? Yeah, because she's a crazy one. Because mm-hmm. she's a lady and she went crazy. Woo! There was she a mouse in the kitchen. It. Oh, oh, fate. <laughs> I found it very interesting when um, Toya is running around trying to find Carla and she asks David. And David said, oh, I wouldn't worry about her. She's as strong as... Uh, Tyson. Yeah. See, that's, that's the impression everybody gets yep. of Carla. Nobody expects something like this to happen to Carla. But that's a good point because that's not by mistake that it's David no. that's there, is it? What did David learn from that? That David learned that Carla had gone missing. And that she's crazy. And Toya was worried about her. And they were going to report her missing. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't tell Nick. That's true. I found that very odd. Yeah. I was wondering if he was about ready to tell Nick, but then Nick came in with his own sort of news. Yeah, maybe. But I found it very odd that we don't get David telling Nick about the whole Carla thing. And then they try and just paint over that by then having Nick, not Nick, David interact with Alex. All right there, lad. Just a strange, just a strange little, very brief interaction. Right. You think of David just happened to be walking by. Along. There's nothing. There's nothing to see here. Right. So I'm not falling for the distraction or the, the misdirection. Yeah. That was deliberate. Yeah. That. It's Toy and David who don't typically talk to each other. Right. Well, he was just he just happened to be the one walking by. It's as deliberate as Rita for some reason not walking by at all this week. Yeah, you've mentioned that. Yeah. Hmm. At length, I would say. It's very interesting. Hmm. So where do you think we're going with this? Oh, I don't know. I think we're going to ride this crazy train. Where do you think Carla is? Do you think she's on the tram? Would they allow her on the tram without shoes? Because remember, she's still not wearing shoes. She's still not wearing shoes. She's still not wearing shoes. She's maybe away to that uh, Scooby-Doo house that uh, Clayton... You run mean around. the Paddington? The Paddington Bear House. The Paddington Bear House, sorry. Um, I forget our own memes. I thought it was also interesting that, you know, the police say to Carla, where are your shoes? Why are you standing out here without any shoes on? You should go inside and get some shoes on. Yeah. And she looks down. She notices she's not wearing shoes. It's, it's weird that when Alia distracts the police from from Carla's presence which allows her to slink away and tippy-toe around the the factory in her with her purse held very weirdly oh yeah that and was no strange. shoes or socks that she doesn't just nip back into the house and get some socks and shoes on and go out the back way yeah it's hmm. so the police are going to be interested in the accounts because something dodgy is going on so they're going to bring in probably Carla and Nick. And if they can find Carla. And, and, well, maybe they can't, so maybe it's just Nick that has to go in and he has to think about and throw, where that money came from. And throw Carla under the bus. Or or think of an, another excuse as to where this 30 grand came and went <sighs> very quickly. I mean... This is interesting. This Audrey's is going to be a tough to week f- tomorrow for... Yeah, Audrey's going to find out eventually anyway. I think it's very interesting that this is going... This may be the way that it's found out. I, she'll, of course, forgive Nick and David. 
because oh this might kill her she loves them and she was planning on spending the money on family anyway and she's proud of them for the whole barbershop thing that she's paid for <laughs> right oh i don't know hmm yeah or i just i don't want david to be thrown under the bus because i like david there's some great stuff on Twitter from David from yesteryear. Did you see any of that? Mm-mm. It's worth checking out. David is a young boy. <laughs> Smashing shit out of a car with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh, he was a wrong'un. He was a wrong'un. Yeah, but he's not anymore. Well, arguably... And see, and see, that concerns me too. I'm concerned that people will blame David for Nick's misdeeds because Nick is the golden boy. Who can do no wrong. I think they're equally to blame. Well, no. Yeah, absolutely. No, because David didn't... David wasn't in on the initial scheme. No, but he extorted the money out of, out of Nick. Blackmailed Nick. Helped me or tell everyone. So he sold... He sold his grand down the river for that. Yeah. The right thing for him to do was just... To tell everyone. To tell Audrey. But he was bought... <sighs> So, yeah, he's not whiter than white coming out of this. No, but I do like him more than I like Nick. I kind of like both of them. I think they're really good together. That's an interesting dynamic that they have. Yeah, but David is good with other people, too. And David gets the best lines. I mean, it's and just... he and Shona are engaged now. Yeah, that's... Hmm. Where is Shona? It's like she disappeared. Where'd she go? Well, they all take a little, little mini breaks, don't they? Well, Gail's on vacation. Maybe Shona went with her. Gail's on vacation again. Why does she keep going on vacation? Because nobody needed her to be stupid this week. Because remember, Sarah says something about the fact that he, she and Gary are sleeping in Gail's room this week. Yeah. Yeah, because she's meant to be working at the barber shop. Right. And she just went on a vacation. She just got back. Where's Audrey? Oh, did she go with Audrey on vacation? Oh, I lose track of all this. Uh, we need to have a little pin board where we see where everyone is. Little red yarn. Actually, that might not be a bad idea. Well, we wanted to get a whiteboard in here, remember? Yeah. I still need to move all of Benny's posters into his room, and I can do that now that there's room around his bed. Anyway. Anyway. Moment of the week. Nick and Imran talking about Nick's dead dad. Yeah, I guess that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I thought... Uh, um. Ben Price did a really good job there. He really got into an emotional space of of Nick's life, which admittedly, because he was not the actor playing Nick at the time. No, that was Adam Ricketts. He couldn't have gotten, you know, he, he doesn't have necessarily the foundation. But when he looks at that picture, there's a connection. Mm-hmm. So well done. I ain't going to argue. So that's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Now the boring of the moment of the week. Ken and Daniel talking about baby wipes and humanist <laughs> baby showers. Once again. Baby christening. I have to say, you've just nailed it again. I've been thinking long and hard about this and that's just... I just want to shoot them both. I've given it no thought at all, and I was trying to rack my brains, but what, <laughs> what the moment of the week and the boring moment of the week would be. Oh, but yeah. It was just, I just, I don't care. No. I I feel bad about not caring about a baby, but 
I just don't care. And it's just it's such a non-interesting conversation about a non-interesting event. So that is our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. It is remarkably 940 Oh, we have kids to get to bed. Shall we wrap this up then? Yes, please. If you're a local hoodlum interested in breaking out into the creative puppetry arts, please drop us a line to let us know. On email, we are thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. On Twitter and Facebook, we are at Cory Podcast. And we have a blog that records mostly inaccurate memories at thetalkofthestreetpodcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. We will be back next week. Bye. With more Talk of the Street. Ta-ta. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.